jobs in life, a highly paid job in public relations, a flat of her own, and a man also belonging to her exclusively. Somehow she'd ended up as a personal assistant, which was a secretary in anyone else's vocabulary. She rented a one-bedroom apartment off Camden High Street with a small basement courtyard out the back and a crack in the bedroom ceiling. And as for the man, well... She believed in true love and commitment until death do us part. It had just never happened to her. She had grown up watching her parents' dogged devotion to one another, their us-against-the-world united front that often excluded even her, their only child, and she'd been trying to find her own gang of two ever since. She'd just never imagined she would find it with someone who was already another woman's husband. Somewhere, way back in her previous life, Helen had been engaged to another man, Simon, the last in a series of long-term boyfriends. Looking back now, she couldn't remember exactly what she'd seen in Simon. Well, she could, because he was young and good-looking, and he had a reasonable job, and just the right amount of ambition. But she now found it impossible to fathom why she had stayed with him for five years. The one legacy of her parents that she couldn't shake off was the idea that relationships were for life. So she ignored the fact that she was the one making all the future plans, and she tried not to notice how his eyes glazed over when she talked about saving up for a deposit on their first shared flat. She had invested years in this man. It had to pay off. There was no way she was going to admit defeat. That is, until Simon gave her no choice in the matter. They'd been cooking dinner together their nightly ritual, which, Helen thought, was a sure indication that their relationship was mature and serious. On being transferred, Simon had muttered into the colander full of potatoes he was peeling. Helen had flung her arms around him. You got the promotion. Regional manager, wow! So we're moving to Manchester. He'd kept his head down, seemingly engrossed in digging out a particularly stubborn eye, um, not exactly, no. Where, then? He was making her nervous, standing there stiffly while she attempted to hug him. He'd put down the potato peeler and turned to look at her, taking a deep breath like a ham actor about to have his big soap opera moment. I'm moving to Manchester. On my own. He'd gone on to say that, of course, it wasn't Helen's fault. It was all him. He was afraid of the commitment... He felt too young, he said, to be settling down with one woman. It was all a matter of timing. If he'd met Helen a few years later, when he felt ready for such a big step, I'll love you so much. It's just me. I'm such a fuck-up. I know I'll regret this, but it's something I have to do, he'd whined, wallowing in his role. He'd insisted there was no one else involved, and Helen had believed him, had, in fact, felt sorry for him, he seemed so pained by the choice he was having to make. Two months later, the news had filtered back to her that he was getting married to another woman. Helen was thirty-five at the time. Bruised and battered by the failure of the relationship more than the loss of Simon himself, she had taken the separation hard. She'd made a promise to herself that she would have some fun, take opportunities when they arose without stopping to endlessly analyse their potential, and, right on cue... Matthew had come along. Her boss, of course, and twenty years older than she was. But why avoid a perfectly good cliché when it's staring you in the face?
Matthew was handsome in the way that men in their fifties are allowed to be considered handsome, despite, or maybe even because of, the grey hair and the paunch. Tall and confident, he gave off the impression that he reveled in his alpha status. His hair was thinning, but he still wore it collar-length and swept back, disguising the round, hairless spot fairly successfully. When the time came for him to shave it all off and just be bald and proud, he would get away with it, as he seemed to get away with everything, because he had a way of striding around the world as if he owned it, that absolute self-belief that public schoolboys have, challenging anyone to dispute their place as high up in the social order. Physically, his most striking assets were his pale, icy blue eyes, which stood out in a face that was fairly ordinary, but he carried himself like he was the most attractive man in the room, and somehow that seemed to make it fact. His success at work seemed to function as an...